All right, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Go ahead to chapter 4. And let's just open by praying, God, we thank you that you are an awesome God. We thank you that you're good, that you're loving. We also thank you that you're a righteous judge. And Lord, you don't let this stuff slide. Lord, this is not your heart. This is against your heart. And um, we just pray to God you would equip us to be a part of that, as he said, to be servants who are faithful. Lord, speak to us this morning is through your word we pray. Convict us where we need to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in a series in 1 Samuel. We're going to fly over a couple of ver- chapters today pretty quickly because I want us to hear the whole story of what's going on um, with some people. Now, there's a company called Despair.com. And they call themselves a demotivational company. Um, and uh, they make posters. And one of the posters is a ship sinking. And the caption is mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Well, this morning, we are going to look at the end of the story in the lives of Eli the priest and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that we met last week, and they're sinking. And there's no positive twist we can put to the story except that their lives can serve us this morning as a warning. So I've called this message, How to Keep Your Future from Becoming a Dead End. And that title is actually inspired by a Hebrew word. The word is aharit. And that word sometimes means the end, the final end. And sometimes it means the future. For the wicked, their aharit is an end. It's a dead end. For the righteous, their aharit is a future, a hopeful future. So in Psalm 73, the psalmist looks and he says, I am seeing wicked people, people abusing other people, and they're doing well. They're prospering. They've got money coming in. They're healthy. And and we're struggling, and we're barely making it. And he said, and I almost despaired. I almost threw my faith away until I considered their end. The road they were on, I saw the end of it. And then I'm like, okay, I don't envy them anymore. Aharit. But then contrast that with Jeremiah 31, 17. It says, there is hope for your future. Aharit. Declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. The Aharit, for those who reject God's purposes, is a dead end. And the Akharit, for those who trust and obey God, is a bright and, fu- and hopeful future. Eli, Hopni, and Phineas fall into the dead end category. So here's a little flyover of what's going on. As we saw last week, Hopni and Phineas are Eli's sons. They are priests in the house of God. But they hold God in contempt. They steal from the offerings, they make themselves wealthy off the offerings that were meant to be given to God. They are sleeping with the women who are serving and in the tent 
the tabernacle, committing adultery, and what they're doing is evil, it says, in the eyes of the Lord. God is watching all this. Now, their father, Eli, has been priest for 40 years, and he's a man who loves God, but he has done nothing to stop this. He gives a weak rebuke, but he doesn't remove them from that position. He doesn't do anything to stop the evil that is polluting all of Israel. All of Israel is being polluted by this. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's seeing it. And when you see spiritual leaders committing evil sins, it's going to have one of two effects. Either it's going to be, hey, we can do it too, or it's going to demoralize you and and sour you on God completely. So Israel is being dragged down by this and Eli does nothing to do. So a, a, a man of God comes to Eli and he says, here's what's gonna happen. God says, I am taking the line of priesthood from you and your family and I'm gonna rip it out of your hands and I'm gonna give it to a faithful person that I will rise up. And here's gonna be a sign to you that that this is gonna happen. Both your sons will die on the same day. Then in chapter three, we know the story. God speaks to Samuel, he's a young boy, and he's lying in bed and he hears a voice that says, Samuel, and he thinks it's Eli. So he runs up and says, what, I'm, here I am, what can I do? Three times this happens, and finally the third time God says, or Eli says, it's the Lord. So next time you hear that voice, Say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And here's what in 1 Samuel 3, 11 and 12, then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. So God just repeats to Samuel what he's already said through the man of God. He's basically underlining it. This road that Eli is on, Hophni is on, Phinehas is on, is a dead end. It is coming. They are hurtling towards a dead end. Let's pick the story up in chapter 4, verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. And when they had joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the men had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Basically, they're saying, Where was God today? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of, the, of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh, that they may bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. So here's what's going on. Israel goes into battle against the Philistines, 4,000 men killed. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. We're the chosen people of God. God is on our side. Why did God allow us to be defeated so badly today? And somebody comes up with the idea, let's get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God amongst the people of Israel. And so they say, let's take that Ark of the Covenant into battle with us, put it in the front, then God will fight for us. Now, if you remember, 
In the book of Joshua, as Joshua and his army are surrounding Jericho, remember that? And they, they circle around seven times, and then they shout, they blow the trumpets, and the walls fall down. Guess what was in front of the procession? It was the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant with priests on both sides walking alongside of it was there to represent God is in front of you. And after the seventh time, they let out a shout and God tore the walls down. A mighty victory. And these guys think, let's do that again. Let's do it again. So they get the Ark and alongside of the Ark walk these two men, Hophni and Phinehas, And as the army sees the ark come into the camp and the priests on either side and they remember Joshua, a shout goes out of victory and excitement and they praise to God just like at Jericho. And when that shout goes up, it unnerves the Philistines. Read with me in verse 6. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Verse 9, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Philistines are saying, we know how powerful their God is. We're done. We're toast. Guys, the best we can do is go out like men. Conduct yourself as a man. We're not going to serve Israel. So let's go and die. But that's not what happens. Verse 10, continuing on. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 soldiers. Also, the ark of the God of God was captured by the Philistines, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. This was not Jericho part two. God wasn't with them. <clears throat> he didn't fight for them. 30,000 soldiers died. The ark of God, the symbol of God's presence among his people was captured by the Philistines. And Hophni and Phinehas were killed just as God foretold. Their Acharit caught up with them. But that's not the end of the dead end. Eli sees a messenger coming from the battle. He says, what's happened? And this is what he says in verse 17. <clears throat> so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. 
Do you see the dead end beginning to accumulate? The ark has been captured. Hophni and Phinehas are dead. Now Eli is dead, but that's still not the end of the dead end. When Phineas's pregnant wife hears that her husband and her father-in-law are dead and the ark has been captured, she gives birth to a son and then she dies. But just before she dies, she names her son Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed from Israel. <clears throat> this is a tragic story. There isn't a motivational poster in the world that could put a positive spin on this story. It's dead end on top of dead end on top of dead end. Their Akarit was dead end. But I want to say this. God is not the God of dead ends. Amen? God is the God of new beginnings. And out of this dead end, we're, we're, we're stopping in this part of the story Dead end everywhere, dead end Eli, dead end Hophni, dead end Phinehas, dead end the Ark of Covenant, dead end Ichabod, who carries that name. The glory is gone for the rest of his life. But out of that dead end, God is going to bring a new beginning under Samuel's leadership. Their lives sank, but we get a warning. And I want to share and take to heart three warnings for us from watching their lives sink. And I think these are timely, timely warnings for our hearts. And by the way, let me just say this, you know, we love Jesus and, and we're not living in this insecurity and everything, but part of the grace of God in us is to see the beauty of warnings. And so let's take these warnings to heart. This isn't meant to threaten. This is meant to make us wiser and careful. First warning that I want to share from this is religion without repentance is a dead end. Religion without repentance is a dead end. Israel asked the question the first time they got beaten, why did God allow us to be beaten? Why did God allow us to be defeated by our enemies? Now, if they had read their Bibles, they would know because it was a reoccurring story. Israel would get off track. They would sin and they would, they would uh, worship false gods and they would go off track. And what would happen is God would allow their enemies to begin to conquer them and oppress them. And then they would cry out to God and say, we're sorry, God, please help us. And then God would raise up a judge and, and give them victory when they repented of their sin. If Israel at this moment had repented, asked God, forgive us, recommit to follow him, and kicked Hophni and Phinehas out of their roles, they would have defeated the Philistines. But what do they do? They keep all the sin and they slap a religious veneer over it. They put a little religion over it. Hophni and Phinehas, they put on their, their, their priestly robes and their priestly faces, and they walk soberly alongside the ark of God as if they are men of God serving his purposes and how it must have repulsed the heart of God to see these two men who have treated him and his offerings and the women of the tabernacle and the whole of Israel with contempt and have desecrated it all, and yet they're walking as if they're men of God how it must have offended God to see that 
And I, I want to pause here for a moment and just say, sin stinks more when we drag the things of God into it. Sin stinks more when we drag the things of God in it. When a preacher commits unspeakable acts behind closed doors and then in public speaks about Jesus with a silvery tongue, that just makes the sin much, much worse. That doesn't, that doesn't clean up the sin. It stenches the religion. It stinks up the things of God. The camp of, of Hebrews shouted with joy because they thought, now oh, the ark symbolizes the presence and power of God. And it did. It did. Except there was no power. God brought no game to the game. It's kind of like the Giants last night. <laughs> ouch. Ouch. It was as if God was powerless to stop the big bad Philistines. That's what they thought. Their fear turned into, they were shaking in fear. Now they're shaking with laughter. They're mocking God. Oh, some God he is. God allowed his name to be dragged through the mud, but not for long. We'll get there later on another Sunday. Not for long. But for a time, the Philistines are thinking, what a puny God. What a lousy little God they serve. We destroyed them, 30,000 people. I didn't even break a sweat. God was willing to let his name be mocked by the Philistines because God's power was working to fulfill his word, which was this. He was looking at Hophni and Phinehas and says, you're going down. You are going to die today. There is a dead end to this sin that's gone on. I am going to fulfill my word. Religion without repentance is a dead end. And we need to remember that. If we're stealing from our employer, we're gossiping about other people, we're cheating on our spouse, we can go to church as much as we want to. It's not going to make us clean. We can say as many prayers as we want. We can give generously to the poor. We can stutter our Bibles till we're like scholars and we know it backwards and forwards. It's not going to make us clean. If we're wounding people with our words and we're mistreating our spouse and we're neglecting our kids and we're harboring pride in our hearts, quoting scripture right and left is not going to help. It's not going to cleanse us. It's going to make it worse. It's slapping religion over sin and that, that makes our religion stink to the high heaven. Some years ago, our car began to smell bad. This is a different car than we have now. But it began to smell bad. And we'd get in the car and it's like, how do you smell that? What is that? We checked the car over, back seat, front seat, trunk, checked it over, couldn't figure it out. But every day it got worse until finally it's like, it's like really smelling bad. And then one day, I just said, we got to figure this out. So I looked, and I looked deep in the back of the trunk, and the way in the corner was a melon that had fallen out of the grocery bag about a week before and was rotting. Now listen, we could have hung as many air fresheners in that car as we wanted to, you know, Christmas tree air fresheners. It wouldn't have gotten rid of the smell. It would have only made it worse. 
The only way to get rid of that stench was to clean out the thing that was rotting. That's what repentance is. That's what repentance is. Sin, especially sin, I'm going to quickly qualify this. Sin is all offensive to God. But there are sins, the Bible says there are sins that are far more serious. Okay, we're all sinners, amen? Raise your hand if you're not a sinner. Okay. We're all sinners, and we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. So I don't want this to come off like, boy, if you ain't perfect, you don't belong here. No, if you are perfect, you don't belong here. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, or come up here and preach. But what I'm talking about are sins that are that are behind closed doors, that are those very, they're more serious, and especially if they treat God with contempt. We struggle with this, we struggle with that, we're struggling. But if we're just harboring sin in the back door or in the back corner of our trunk, that sin is a stench in the Lord's nose, and we can't cover that stench with religious activity, and church stuff, acting like we love Jesus. Repentance is taking the sin out of the trunk and throwing it away. Repentance is a vital part of genuine faith. There is no faith without repentance. There is no repentance without faith. Faith and repentance go together. Repentance is turning away from our sin and turning toward God. I don't want to live for the sin. I want to live for God. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, but my heart is towards God. It's not towards sin. I am not getting my life drawn from sin. Okay, I'm drawing my life from God. And when we fall and fail, that's called walking in the light. When we fail, we confess that sin to God, we repent of it, and he cleanses us from that sin. That's the Christian life. Repentance with faith takes us off the dead-end road and puts us back on God's road for our life, which is a life with a future, a life with new beginnings, and it's never, as long as we draw breath, it's never too late to repent and come back to God. But religion without repentance is a dead end. Second warning is don't use God to get what you want. Don't use God to get what you want. It's funny how the Israelites, they didn't even care about God until a big problem come up. Then all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's pull God out of the, out of the attic. Let's dust them off and put them in the front. Maybe we'll get what we want. And they didn't. Don't use God. Trust God, yes. Love God, serve God, draw close to God. Believe God, ask God for what you need, ask God for what you want. But you know what's in all of that is relationship. God wants a relationship with us. And you know, if you've ever had somebody just try to use you to get what they want, that's not relationship. God isn't a good luck charm or a, a genie's bottle that we rub and get our three wishes from. Don't ignore God until something goes wrong and then pull him out and say, God, help. It's funny how some people ignore God in the day-to-day -day and then blame God when things go wrong. Don't ignore God until something goes wrong. There are, there are churches, and I think America is particularly, and listen, I believe God is a blessing God, amen? He's a good God. He's a generous God. He's not stingy. He loves to bless his people. He's good to his people, amen? 
He has poured grace upon us through Jesus Christ. He has loved us lavishly. He has all these wonderful things. So believe me, God is a great God. He is so wonderful. He is so good. He is so loving. But there are churches and there are churches that go beyond that where they're basically kind of preaching. God will give you what you want if you have enough faith. If you confess the right things, you'll get what you want. If you give to this ministry, you know, you give a hundred, you'll get a thousand. And it's basically God wants you rich. God wants you successful. God wants you driving a Mercedes Benz. And, and it just, listen, somebody who's drawn to that message is not necessarily in the same category as the apostles who were drawn to the message from Jesus, follow me. Like, you don't have to love Jesus for someone to say, you come to this church, you're going to have millions of dollars coming your way, okay? What's Jesus got to do with that? You come to this church, you'll be driving a Mercedes. God's going to give you a Mercedes Benz. He's going to, you know, give you, you know, be the CEO soon. You'll be all this. There, there doesn't need to be any love for Jesus or any faith in Jesus at all to, to want to go to that message and hear that message, and preachers who enrich themselves with those messages are like modern-day Hophni and Phineases who are just getting rich off of God. And that isn't following Jesus. That's using Jesus, and God will not be used. When God leads us into battle and we put him in the front, we will have victory. We will. When God leads us, where God leads us, we will have success. It may not look like success to, uh, you know, some standards, but it'll be God's success. It'll be the best success. Where God leads us, we will have provision. We'll have what we need. We may have more than we need. But when we put God in front in order to get where we want and go where we want and get what we want, we're using God. And that's a dead end. That's a dead end. Jesus calls us to trust in him to believe that he paid it all on the cross and then to give our lives to him. And we honor God by seeking, what do you want, God? Not by saying, God, I want to use you to get what I want. Don't use God to get what you want. Third point, and this is going to come a little bit brighter, but Christ came to give us a bright future with no dead ends. And I love that. I love the passage in Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage. God says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Aharit. There's that word again. In Christ, our lives never come to a dead end. We may hit hard times. We may suffer heartaches. We may suffer trials. We may have days when it looks like the end. But in Christ, we have a hope and a future. God has plans for us that are good, that are good. In Christ, our righteousness that he gives to us 
rises like the sun and it never sets. In Christ, death has no sting. Yeah, you ever feel the sadness of this world and all that's, that's sad? And then, then it, you know, I think there was a bumper sticker. Uh, I won't even quote it because I don't know exactly what it says. And it may have a curse in it, but um, basically, then you die. But in Christ, oh, death, where is your sting? The grave does not hold us. We will rise again. An eternal, forever, glorious acharid in the presence of the Lord and in the kingdom of Christ. As believers in Christ, through the finished work of Christ, our acharit isn't a dead end, it's a living future. But, that doesn't mean our choices on this earth don't have an effect on our earthly acharit. So I want to close with this final warning. Eli was truly devoted to God. He truly loved God. You know what killed Eli wasn't the news that his sons had died. It was the news that the ark had been captive, taken captive. Eli cared about the glory of God. There's no doubt in my mind, he's with the Lord right now. But the acharit of his earthly life was tragically sad and a dead end. Regret for years and opportunities wasted. Regret to watch Israel go down, down, down over his, under his leadership and watch his sons pollute and he felt like he could do nothing about it. He could have done something about it. And now to hear in his final moments that the very glory of God had been captured by the Philistines, it killed him. It killed him. So my, my thought to us this morning is we don't want our future to only be bright in eternity. We want it to be bright here and now. We want our future to be bright here and now. We want our acharit to be a good acharit. And, and God wants that too. So let's love and serve the Lord. Let's repent of the sin that's rotting in our souls or stinking up our lives. Let's be faithful and diligent to serve the Lord and the responsibilities he has put before us. So I just want to encourage, don't open the Bible when, only when things get rough. Don't open the Bible just when, when things are going wrong. Don't pray just when life is going wrong. Don't, don't go to church just to get something out of it. Go to get something, put something into it. Let's pray for those in our lives and let's believe God to do great things. Prayer isn't optional in the believer's life. It's really necessary. Let's read the word as our feeding in our souls. We need God's word in our hearts. Let's read his word. Don't just pull it out. When you feel like, okay, I, I need a word from God. So I want to just underline this and then I'm done. If you're trusting in Christ as your Savior, by his work and his work alone, you are justified in the eyes of God. You are righteous in the eyes of God. And you are secure forever in the presence of God. Amen? That's our future. And that's not because you did this and you did that and you went to church and you did It's because you trusted in Christ. But I really don't want my earthly life to crash and burn like Eli's did. I really don't want that to be 
my legacy, and neither do you. Let's learn the warning from Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. Let's seek what God wants. Let's obey God's will by the Spirit of God. Let's follow Christ, and let's repent of sin when we are convicted of it. Repentance is not only getting the rotten melon out of our trunk, it's also this wonderful, wonderful way of getting off the road that leads to a dead end. Sin always leads to a dead end. And it's turning around and leading to the road that leads to a bright future. God always is the God of future hope. That's what repentance is. Let's, let's just close with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the band to come up as well while we pray. Father, warnings are not fun to hear, especially if they hit home in our lives. And to some degree, these warnings hit home with all of us in one way or another. But we want to take them seriously. God, we ask, we want your future for us. We don't want sin's future for us, Lord. We want to experience the grace and goodness of the Lord in our daily lives, Lord. And we want to learn from this sad story and, and trust in you in a fresh way. So, Father, if there is a rotten melon in any of our souls or lives, would you convict us of it? Help us to see it. Maybe it's hidden. We don't even see it. Help us to repent of it. You will help us, but we've got to be honest with you, God. You help those who are honest with you, who confess their sins. Lord, let us bring it into the light. Confess it to you. Repent of it. And we trust you for fresh grace, for the power of God to reignite in our lives and give us a new future and a new beginning. And we give you all the glory and praise for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.